Chapter Five, Part One of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simona Russo. The Deluge, Volume Two, by Henry Sienkiewicz, translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter Five, Part One. The bursting of the gigantic culverin had really a crushing effect upon Miller, for all his hopes had rested hitherto on that gun. Infantry were ready for the assault, ladders and piles of fascines were collected, but now it was necessary to abandon all thought of a storm. The plan of blowing up the cloister by means of mines came also to nothing. Miners brought in previously from Olkush split, it is true, the rock, and approached on a diagonal to the cloister. But work progressed slowly. The workmen, in spite of every precaution, fell frequently from the guns of the church, and laboured unwillingly. Many of them preferred to die rather than aid in the destruction of a sacred place. Miller felt a daily increasing opposition. The frost took away the remnant of courage from his unwilling troops, among whom terror was spreading from day to day with a belief that the capture of the cloister did not lie within human power finally miller himself began to lose hope and after the bursting of the gun he was simply in despair a feeling of helplessness and impotence took possession of him next morning he called a council but he called it with a secret wish to hear from officers encouragement to abandon the fortress they began to assemble all wearied and gloomy in silence they took their places around the table in an enormous and cold room in which the steam from their breath stood before their faces and they looked from behind as if from behind a cloud each one felt in his soul exhaustion and weariness each one said to himself there is no counsel to give save one which it is better for no man to be the first to give all waited for what miller would say he ordered first of all to bring plenty of heated wine hoping that under the influence of warm drink it would be easier to obtain a real thought from those silent figures and encouragement to retreat from the fortress at last when he supposed that the wine had produced its effect he spoke in the following words have you noticed gentlemen that none of the polish colonels have come to this council though i summoned them all it is known of course to your worthiness that servants of the polish squadron have while fishing found silver belonging to the cloister and that they fought for it with our soldiers more than ten men have been cut down i know i succeeded in snatching a part of that silver from their hands indeed the greater part it is here now and i am thinking what to do with it this is surely the cause of the anger of the polish colonels they say that if the poles found the silver it belongs to the poles that's a reason cried count veyard for my mind it is a stronger reason said sadovsky and i think if you had found the silver you would not feel bound to divide it not only with the poles but even with me a Czech. first of all my dear sir i do not share your good will for the enemies of our king answered the count with a frown but we thanks to you must share with you shame and disgrace not being able to succeed against the fortress to which you have brought us then have you lost all hope but have you any yourself to give away just as if you knew and i think that these gentlemen share more willingly with me in my hope than with you in your fear 
Do you make me a coward, Count Veyard? I do not ascribe to you more courage than you show, and I ascribe to you less. But I, said Miller, who for some time had looked on the Count with dislike as the instigator of the ill-starred undertaking, shall have the silver sent to the cloister. Perhaps kindness and graciousness will do more with these surly monks than balls and cannon. Let them understand that we wish to possess the fortress, not their treasures. The officers looked on Miller with wonder. So little accustomed were they to magnanimity from him. At last Sadovsky said, Nothing better could be done, for it will close at once the mouths of the Polish colonels who lay claim to the silver. In the fortress it will surely make a good impression. The death of that Kmita will make the best impression, answered Count Veyard. I hope that Kuklinovsky has already torn him out of his skin. I think that he is no longer alive, said Miller, but that name reminds me of our loss which nothing can make good. That was the greatest gun in the whole artillery of his grace. I do not hide from you, gentlemen, that all my hopes were placed on it. The breach was already made. Terror was spreading in the fortress. A couple of days longer and we should have moved to a storm. Now all our labor is useless. All our exertions vain. They will repair the wall in one day. And the guns which we have now are no better than those of the fortress and can be easily dismounted. No larger ones can be had anywhere, for even Marshal Wittenberg hasn't them. The more I ponder over it, the more the disaster seems dreadful. And to think that one man did this, one dog, one Satan, I shall go mad, to all the horned devils. Here Miller struck the table with his fist, for unrestrained anger had seized him, the more desperately because he was powerless. After a while he cried, but what will the king say when he hears of this loss? After a while he added, And what shall we do? We cannot gnaw away that cliff with our teeth. Would that the plague might strike those who persuaded me to come to this fortress. Having said this, he took a crystal goblet, and in his excitement hurled it to the floor so that the crystal was broken into small bits. This unbecoming frenzy, more befitting a peasant than a warrior holding such a high office, turned all hearts from him, and soured good-humoured completely. "'Give counsel, gentlemen,' cried Miller. "'It is possible to counsel, but only in calmness,' answered the Prince of Hesse. Miller began to puff and blow out his anger through his nostrils. After a time he grew calm, and passing his eyes over those present, as if encouraging them with a glance, he said, "'I ask your pardon, gentlemen, but my anger is not strange.' I will not mention those places which, when I had taken command after Torstenson, I captured, for I do not wish, in view of the present disaster, to boast of past fortune. All that is done at this fortress simply passes reason, but still it is necessary to take counsel. For that purpose I have summoned you. Deliberate then, and what the majority of us determine at this council will be done. Let your worthiness give us the subject for deliberation said the prince of hesse have we to deliberate only concerning the capture of the fortress or also concerning this whether it is better to withdraw miller did not wish to put the question so clearly or at least he did not wish the either or to come first from his mouth therefore he said let each speak clearly what he thinks it should be a question for us of the profit and praise of the king but none of the officers wished more than miller to appear first 
with a proposition to retreat. Therefore there was silence again. Pansadovsky, said Miller after a while in a voice which he tried to make agreeable and kind, you say what you think more sincerely than others, for your reputation ensures you against all suspicion. I think, General, answered the colonel, that Kmita was one of the greatest soldiers of this age, and that our position is desperate. But you are in favour of withdrawing from the fortress? With permission of your worthiness, I was only in favour of not beginning the siege. That is a thing quite different. Then what do you advise now? Now I give the floor to Count Veyard. Miller swore like a pagan. Count Veyard will answer for this unfortunate affair, said he. My counsels have not all been carried out, answered the Count, insolently. I can boldly cast responsibility for myself. There were men who, with a wonderful, in truth an inexplicable good will for the priests, dissuaded his worthiness from all severe measures. My advice was to hang those envoy priests, and I am convinced that if this had been done, terror would have opened to us before this time the gates of that hen-house. Here the Count looked at Sadovsky, but before the latter had answered, the Prince of Hesse interfered. Count, do not call that fortress a hen-house, for the more you decrease its importance, the more you increase our shame. Nevertheless, I advise to hang the envoys. Terror and always terror. That is what I repeated from morning till night. But Pan Sadovsky threatened resignation, and the priests went unharmed. Go count day to the fortress, answered Sadovsky. Blow up with powder their greatest gun, as Kmita did ours, and I guarantee that that will spread more terror than a murderous execution of envoys. The count turned directly to Miller. Your worthiness, I thought we had come here for counsel and not for amusement. Have you an answer to baseless reproaches? asked Miller. I have, in spite of the joyousness of these gentlemen who might save their humour for better times. O oh, son of Laertes, famous for stratagems, exclaimed the Prince of Hesse. Gentlemen, answered the Count, it is universally known that not Minerva, but Mars is our guardian deity. But since Mars has not favoured you, and you have renounced your right of speech, let me speak. The mountain is beginning to groan, and soon we shall see the small tail of a mouse, said Sadovsky. I ask for silence, said Miller severely. Speak, Count, but keep in mind that up to this moment your counsels have given bitter fruit. Which, though it is winter, we must eat like mouldy biscuits, put in the Prince of Hesse. This explains why your princely highness drinks so much wine, said Count Veyard, and though it does not take the place of native wit, it helps you to a happy digestion of even disgrace. But no matter, I know well that there is a part in the fortress which is long desirous of surrender, and that only our weakness on one side and the superhuman stubbornness of the prior on the other keep it in check. New terror will give this party new power. For this purpose we should show that we make no account of the loss of the gun and storm the more vigorously. Is that all? Even if it were all, I think that such counsel is more in accordance with the honour of Swedish soldiers than barren jests at cups, or than sleeping after drinking bouts. But that is not all. We should spread the report among our soldiers, and especially among the Poles, that the men at work now making a mine have discovered the old underground passage leading to the cloister and the church. That is good counsel, said Miller. 
when this report is spread among the soldiers and the poles the poles themselves will persuade the monks to surrender for it is a question with them as with the monks that that nest of superstitions should remain intact for a catholic that is not bad muttered sadovsky if he served the turks he would call rome a nest of superstitions said the prince of hesse then beyond doubt the poles will send envoys to the priests continued count veard that party in the cloister which is long anxious for surrender will renew its efforts under the influence of fear and who knows but its members will force the prior and the stubborn to open the gates the city of priam will perish through the cunning of the divine son of laertes declaimed the prince of hesse as god lives a real trojan history and he thinks that he invented something new said sadovsky but the advice pleased miller for in very truth it was not bad the party which the count spoke of existed really in the cloister even some priests of weaker soul belonged to it besides fear might extend among the garrison including even those who so far were ready to defend it to the last drop of blood let us try let us try said miller who like a drowning man seized every plank and from despair passed easily to hope but will kuklinovsky or zbrozhet agree to go again as envoys to the cloister or will they believe in that passage and will they inform the priests of it in every case kuklinovsky will agree answered the count but it is better that he should believe really in the existence of the passage at that moment they heard the tramp of a horse in front of the quarters there pan zbrozhet has come said the prince of hesse looking through the window a moment later spurs rattled and Strozhek entered or rather rushed into the room his face was pale excited and before the officers could ask the cause of his excitement the colonel cried kuklinovsky is no longer living how what do you say what has happened exclaimed miller let me catch breath said Strozhek, for what i have seen passes imagination talk more quickly has he been murdered cried all by Kmita, answered Sprojek. The officers all sprang from their seats and began to look at Sprojek as at a madman, and he, while blowing in quick successions bunches of steam from his nostrils, said, If I had not seen, I should not have believed, for that is not a human power. Kuklinovsky is not living, three soldiers are killed, and of Kmita not a trace. I know that he was a terrible man, his reputation is known in the whole country, but for him a prisoner and bound not only to free himself but to kill the soldiers and torture Kuklinovsky to death, that a man could not do, only a devil. Nothing like that has ever happened, that's impossible of belief, whispered Sadovsky. That Kmita has shown what he can do, said the Prince of Hesse we did not believe the poles yesterday when they told us what kind of bird he was we thought they were telling big stories as is usual with them enough to drive a man mad said the count miller seized his head with his hands and said nothing when at last he raised his eyes flashes of wrath were crossing in them with flashes of suspicion pans brozek said he though he were satan and not a man he could not do this without some treason without assistance Kmita had his admirers here, Kuklinovsky his enemies, and you belong to the number. Zbrozhek was in the full sense of the word an insolent soldier. Therefore, when he heard an accusation directed against himself, 
he grew still paler sprang from his place approached miller and halting in front of him looked him straight in the eyes does your worthiness suspect me inquired he a very oppressive moment followed the officers present had not the slightest doubt were miller to give an affirmative answer something would follow terrible and unparalleled in the history of camps all hands rested on their rapier hilts sadovsky even drew his weapon altogether but at that moment the officers saw before the window a yard filled with polish horsemen probably they also had come with news of kuklinovsky but in case of collision they would stand beyond doubt on zbrojek's side miller too saw them and though the paleness of rage had come on his face still he restrained himself and feigned to see no challenge in zbrojek's action he answered in a voice which he strove to make natural tell in detail how it happened zbrojek stood for a time yet with nostrils distended but he too remembered himself and then his thoughts turned in another direction for his comrades who had just ridden up entered the room kuklinovsky is murdered repeated they one after another kuklinovsky is killed his regiment will scatter his soldiers are going wild gentlemen permit pan zbrojek to speak he brought the news first cried miller after a while there was silence and zbrojek spoke as follows it is known to you gentlemen that at the last council i challenged kuklinovsky on the word of a cavalier i was an admirer of kmita it is true but even you though his enemies must acknowledge that no common man could have done such a deed as bursting that cannon it behooves us to esteem daring even in an enemy therefore i offered him my hand but he refused his and called me a traitor then i thought to myself let kuklinovsky do what he likes with him my only other thought was this if kuklinovsky acts against knightly honour in dealing with kmita the disgrace of his deed must not fall on all poles and among others on me for that very reason i wished surely to fight with kuklinovsky and this morning taking two comrades i set out for his camp we come to his quarters they say there he is not at home i sent to this place he is not here at his quarters they tell us he has not returned the whole night but they are not alarmed for they think he has remained with your worthiness at last one soldier says last evening he went to that little barn in the field with Mita, whom he was going to burn there i ride to the barn the doors are wide open i enter i see inside a naked body hanging from a beam that is Mita, thought i but when my eyes have grown used to the darkness i see that the body is some thin and bony one and kmita looked like a hercules it is a wonder to me that he could shrink so much in one night i drew near kuklinovsky hanging from the beam asked miller exactly i make the sign of the cross i think it is witchcraft an omen deception what but when i saw three corpses of soldiers the truth stood as if living before me that terrible man had killed this hung kuklinovsky burned him like an executioner and then escaped it is not far to the silesian boundary said sadovsky a moment of silence followed every suspicion of zbrojek's participation in the affair was extinguished in miller's soul but the event itself astonished and filled him with a certain undefined fear he saw dangers rising around or rather their terrible shadows against which he knew not how to struggle he felt that some kind of chain of failures surrounded him the first links were before his eyes but further the gloom of the future was lying 
just such a feeling mastered him as if he were in a cracked house which might fall on his head any moment uncertainty crushed him with an insupportable weight and he asked himself what he had to lay hands on meanwhile count veyard struck himself on the forehead as god lives said he when i saw this kmita yesterday it seemed as if i had known him somewhere now again i see before me that face i remember the sound of his voice i must have met him for a short time and in the dark in the evening but he is going through my head going here he began to rub his forehead with his hand what is that to ask asked miller you will not mend the gun even should you remember you will not bring kuklinovsky to life here he turned to the officers gentlemen come with me whoso wishes to the scene of this deed all wished to go for curiosity was exciting them horses were brought and they moved on at a trot the general at the head when they came to the little barn they saw a number of tents of polish horsemen scattered around that building on the road and along the field what men are they asked miller of Zbrojek they must be kuklinovskis i tell your worthiness that those red muffins have simply gone wild zbrojek then beckoned to one of the horsemen come this way come this way quickly the soldier rode up are you kuklinovskis men yes where is the rest of the regiment they have run away they refuse to serve longer against Yasnagora. what does he say asked miller zbrojek interpreted the words ask him where they went to zbrojek repeated the question it is unknown said the soldier some have gone to silesia others said that they would serve with kmita for there is not another such colonel either among the poles or the swedes when zbrojek interpreted these words to miller he grew serious in truth such men as kuklinovski had were ready to pass over to the command of kmita without hesitation but then they might become terrible if not for miller's army at least for his supplies and communication a river of perils was rising higher and higher around the enchanted fortress zbrojek into whose head this idea must have come said as if in answer to these thoughts of miller it is certain that everything is in a storm now in our commonwealth let only such a kmita shout hundreds and thousands will surround him especially after what he has done but what can he effect asked miller remember your worthiness that that man brought hovanski to desperation and hovanski had counting the cossacks six times as many men as we not transport will come to us without his permission the country houses are destroyed and we are beginning to feel hunger besides this kmita may join with zhegotsky and kulesha then he will have several thousand sabres at his call he is a grievous man and may become most harmful are you sure of your soldiers surer than of myself answered Sprojek with brutal frankness how surer for to tell the truth we have all of us enough of this siege i trust that it will soon come to an end only the question is how but for that matter to capture this fortress is at present as great a calamity as to retire from it meanwhile they had reached the little barn miller dismounted after him the officers and all entered the soldiers had removed kuklinovsky from the beam and covering him with a rug laid him on his back on remnants of straw the bodies of three soldiers lay at one side placed evenly one by the other these were killed with knives but kuklinovsky there are no wounds on kuklinovsky but his side is roasted and his moustaches daubed with pitch 
he must have perished of cold or suffocation, for he holds his own cap in his teeth to this moment. Uncover him. The soldier raised the corner of the rug, and a terrible face was uncovered, swollen, with eyes bursting out. On the remnants of his pitched moustaches were icicles formed from his frozen breath and mixed with soot, making, as it were, tusks striking out of his mouth. That face was so revolting that Miller, though accustomed to all kinds of ghastliness, shuddered and said, Cover it quickly. Terrible, terrible. Silence reigned in the barn. Why have we come here? asked the Prince of Hesse, spitting. I shall not touch food for a whole day. All at once some kind of uncommon exasperation closely bordering on frenzy took possession of Miller. His face became blue, his eyes expanded, he began to gnash his teeth. A wild thirst for the blood of someone had seized him. Then turning to Zbrojek, he screamed, Where is that soldier who saw that Kuklinovsky was in the barn? He must be a confederate. I know not whether the soldier is here yet, answered Zbrojek. All Kuklinovsky's men have scattered like oxen let out from the yoke. Then catch him, bellowed Miller in fury. Catch him yourself, cried Zbrojek in similar fury. And again a terrible outburst hung as it were on a spider web over the heads of the Swedes and the Poles. The latter began to gather around Zbrojek, moving their moustaches threateningly and rattling their sabres. During this noise, the echoes of shots and the tramp of horses were heard, and into the barn rushed a Swedish officer of cavalry. General, cried he, a sortie from the cloister. The men working at the mine have been cut to pieces. A party of infantry is scattered. I shall go wild, roared Miller, seizing the hair of his wig. To horse! In a moment they were all rushing like a whirlwind toward the cloister, so that lumps of snow fell like hail from the hoofs of their horses. A hundred of Sadovsky's cavalry, under command of his brother, joined Miller and ran to assist. On the way they saw parties of terrified infantry fleeing in disorder and panic. So fallen were the hearts of the Swedish infantry, elsewhere unrivaled. They had left even trenches which were not threatened by any danger. The oncoming officers and cavalry trampled a few, and rode finally to within a furlong of the fortress, but only to see on the height as clearly as on the palm of the hand the attacking party returning safely to the cloister. Songs, shouts of joy and laughter came from them to Miller's ears. Single persons stood forth and threatened with bloody sabres in the direction of the staff. The Poles present at the sight of the Swedish general recognized Amoyski himself, who had led the sortie in person, and who, when he saw the staff, stopped and saluted it solemnly with his cap. No wonder he felt safe under cover of the fortress cannon. And in fact it began to smoke on the walls, and iron flocks of cannonballs were flying with terrible whistling among the officers. Troopers tottered in their saddles, and groans answered whistles. We are under fire! Retreat! commanded Sadovsky. Zbrojek seized the reins of Miller's horse. General, withdraw! It is death here! Miller, as if he had become torpid, said not a word, and let himself be led out of the rage of the missiles. Returning to his quarters, he locked himself in, and for a whole day would see no man. He was meditating surely over his fame of polyorsities. Count Veyard now took all power in hand, and began with immense energy to make preparations for a storm. New breastworks were thrown up. 
the soldiers succeeding the miners broke the cliff unweariedly to prepare a mine a feverish movement continued in the whole swedish camp it seemed that a new spirit had entered the besiegers or that reinforcements had come a few days later the news thundered through the swedish and allied polish camps that the miners had found a passage going under the church and the cloister and that he depended now only on the good will of the general to blow up the whole fortress delight seized the soldiers worn out with cold hunger and fruitless toil shouts of we have just tohova will blow up that hen-house ran from mouth to mouth feasting and drinking began the count was present everywhere he encouraged the soldiers kept them in that belief repeated a hundred times daily the news of finding the passage incited to feasting and frolics the echo of this gladness reached the cloister at last news of the mines dug and ready to explode ran with the speed of lightning from rampart to rampart even the most daring were frightened weeping women began to besiege the prior's dwelling to hold out to him their children when he appeared for a while and cry destroy not the innocent their blood will fall on thy head the greater coward the man had been the greater his daring now in urging kordetsky not to expose to destruction the sacred place the capital of the most holy lady End of chapter five part one